Well, let's turn to the book of Galatians as we look into the Word of God and we uh, study to see what God would say. In Galatians chapter 6, we have been talking about the subject of counseling or giving advice to others. And everyone is a counselor, believe it or not. You are, whether or not you think you are, if you are a parent and you have kids and you give them advice, you are a counselor. If you're a friend, if you have any friends, and the things that they ask you for help on, you will say things and you give them counsel. If you have uh, co-workers, you give them counsel. How do you counsel others or give them uh, wisdom from the Word of God to help them along their path in life when they are struggling? So in Galatians chapter 6, Paul outlines here as he, after finishing his exhortation, that we ought to be people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And here he says in chapter 6 of Galatians, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let's pray before we begin our study of God's word this morning. Our Father in heaven, how great you are, and what a wonderful treasure your word is. And we pray, God, that we would understand your word, that we might carefully and wisely apply it to our life as well as the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read a story not long ago about a farmer who, uh, in his field, he had a rather large rock sitting in his field. And every year what he would do is he would uh, plow his field. He would come to this rock and he would just plow around it. And over the years he had broken a number of plowshares and he had broken a, uh, broken a um, cultivator recently on it. And he thought to himself of all the trouble that this rock has caused him over the years. And he thought to himself, my goodness, this, is, this rock is really getting on my nerves. I'm going to do something about it. And so he stuck a crowbar underneath that rock. And to his surprise, he realized that that rock was big on the top, but it was only about six inches deep in the ground. And he could break it up easily. And there he was putting in his wheelbarrow in pieces and carting it away. And he was, uh, had a smile on his face. And he thought about, through all the years, how much trouble that rock had caused him and how easy it would have been to get rid of that thing sooner. And that's similar to what we do when we have problems. Sometimes there's a temptation to say, well, that thing's sitting there. I'm just going to let it go and I'm just going to uh, work around it. And it causes difficulties, it causes problems, or whatever it may be. And we usually tell ourselves, well, we'll come back to it later. We'll address that problem later. It's like the old phrase that is used, there's an elephant in the living room. There's an elephant in the living room. You know what that phrase means? It means that there's an issue, there's a problem. And you have this huge Dumbo elephant sitting in your living room. Sitting right in the middle. And everybody sees it, everybody knows it, no one says anything. They don't want to take care of it. And what they do is they decide, well, we're just going to scoot around this elephant so I can get to the couch. 
And then the other person says, well, I think I'm just going to maybe climb over it and I'm going to watch TV in my corner. And everybody has their corner of the living room that they decide they're going to live in and not deal with the elephant that is there. In fact, when they want to talk to each other, this elephant's blocking everything and they end up yelling at each other. Or they end up kind of avoiding one another. Oh, it's okay as long as I don't see that other person. I don't have to deal with them. It's okay, you know. And this elephant, this problem that they've never dealt with. And they let it sit there and the elephant begins to stink. And the elephant causes all sorts of problems, but nobody wants to talk about it. And so they scoot around this elephant and live with this elephant in the living room. The fact of the matter is, we deal with problems like that a lot in our lives. It's just easier just not say anything or just not deal with an issue and let the elephant live there in the middle of the living room and how great it would be if that elephant were not there, though, would be the real solution. And last week we talked a little bit about the whole spectrum and gave you a sort of a bird's eye perspective on counseling today. If you were a Christian and you had a problem, whom would you go to? And there are three categories, broad categories of people you can go to if you decided you wanted to get help from a professional standpoint or somebody who might be trained. There were the psychologists and the psychiatrists. Psychiatrists, of course, could give you a prescription for medication. And they would employ one of over 250 different psychoanalytical methods by which they could help you with your situation. Very, very different approaches depending upon their training, depending upon their approach, depending upon what they have found to work. Now, the second category of Christian psychologists, those who would be believers, who would be Christians, and yet would employ many of these same techniques. Oftentimes, they would be people who would not pray with you or not share about God with you or whatever, but they'd employ the, you know, whatever model would be good, the behavioristic model, the rationalistic model, or the humanistic model, or, you know, the cognitive approach to counseling. And many times it is such that it is secular counseling clouded with a little bit of, of theology. Sometimes that can be helpful, but there's a third category of counselors, too, that you might see called biblical counselors. Sometimes they're Christian counselors, they go by various names, or neuthetic counselors that would employ the Word of God primarily as their means, that would use the Word of God in, in situations which are non-organic, non-biological, non-physiological, problems that people face, problems that people have that aren't related to one's health or aren't related to some, some ailment that one is, uh, is having. They, they have as their goal, which should be our goal as well, which is to bring glory to God. I mean, when a friend comes to us and they say, you know, I've got this problem with so-and-so, they're really getting on my case. What's your, what's your goal? Our goal should be the same as God's goal if that person were to go to God. Our goal should be to bring glory to God, right? Bring glory to God. How do we do that? We decide, first of all, where that person is. And we want to see the, the long-term picture. I mean, we can tell them, well, you just ought to quit your job. And that might be a good solution, but it doesn't take into account perhaps a long-term issue or long-term perspective. So how do we glorify God? Well, the first thing we do, we determine where they are at with God. If they don't know the Lord, then our long-term goal should be the same as God's goal for them, Right? And what is God's goal for them if they do not know God and they're struggling with this problem that they have in their life? Our goal for them ought to be the same as God's goal for them. And God's goal for them is that they come to know the Savior. 
that they have the resources of God, that they would come to worship Him. And so in the process of helping them with their immediate problem, our hope is that we can draw them to God. And that's our long-term goal. And we want to keep that in mind. If a person is a believer, if they're a child of God, then our long-term goal should be the same as God's goal for the believer, which is what? To walk in God's way. To be obedient to God. To come to love God. To walk rightly with Him and not to live in sin anymore. And this whole idea of goals is foundational to what we will share with people. Because when somebody comes to you with a problem in their life, what do they want? They want to have that problem go away. They want that problem to be fixed very quickly. They want to just perhaps ignore the problem. They want to feel better about themselves or they want to perhaps adjust more socially to the culture around them. They want to perhaps uh, just uh, uh, have this off of their minds, so to speak, and various people turn to alcohol or drugs to do that sort of a thing. But the goal is not, let's see, how can I use or do the right thing so that God would cause me to grow? Or how can I help my friend here so that they would come to know Christ and have a solution to their ultimate problem, which is being separated from God? And so we came to Galatians chapter 6 here and we looked at the first of four principles. The first of four principles when we are giving counsel to others, when we're giving advice to others, when our friends come to us, our co-workers come to us, our kids come to us or whatever, and perhaps they have come into this situation. There's various approaches in the Bible that are laid out. This happens to be one of them. Four principles in the Bible that the Bible gives to us when we see others, particularly here, they're caught in a sin. They're caught in a sin. And the first principle is to seek to restore others. It says, Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Our goal is to restore them. And we talked about that last week. Our goal is to restore them. The whole aspect of restoring others to right behavior before God is critical. You know, we've talked about the subject of sin in the book of Romans for weeks, months seems like chapter 1, 2, 3, and then the effects of sin, 5, 6, 7. We talk about sin so much. And here's the problem, that sin has affected you and me such that you and I don't respond in the way we ought to respond, not only to blessings when God gives us good things, but we don't respond well to things that are wrong either. I should say, more many times it's easier to respond wrong to are difficult circumstances. When something bad happens to us, somebody says something about us, somebody hurts our feelings, somebody like snubs us, somebody cheats us, or in some people's cases, they really are hurt by someone's actions. Somebody mistreats you, or whatever it might be. Well, we what? How do we respond? We, we feel angry and we, get, we want to get back at them. We want to treat them poorly. We want to talk about them, gossip about them. We want to slander them. We want to get back at them. And so we maybe pout or we have a negative attitude or whatever it might be. We have issues. When somebody mistreats us, we don't respond in a proper way because of sin. When we're blessed, if you were to win a huge prize or you to have a big accomplishment, you receive an award, you're blessed in some way. 
Our sinful nature is to respond improperly there too, right? What do we do? Many times, what do we do? We take credit for it. We say it's because of me. We become prideful. We have. Others don't have. We look down on them. We laugh at them. We make fun of other people. Maybe we have so much, we fail to know what it is to share. Sometimes, statistically, those who have the most actually share the least. It's interesting, we become more greedy. Or perhaps we say, well, I don't want to really associate myself with that type of person. They're, they're dirty or they're different or they're whatever. Socially, economically different in status. We don't respond well when God blesses us, nor when we have difficulties in life because of sin. It's like the man in Budapest who went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, life is awful for my family and I. Because there are nine of us living in one small room in our house. What can I do? And the pastor thought about it for a moment and he said to the man, he said, take Take your goat into the room. And the man did so what do you mean? There are nine of us in the room. He said, take your goat into your room and come back to me in a week. The man took the goat into the room. And a week later he came back and he was even more distraught. And he said, Pastor, this is an issue. We cannot stand it. He said, the goat is filthy. The pastor said to him, take the goat out of the room and come back in a week. Man came back later a week later and he exclaimed, Life is so wonderful. It's beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it. Why? Because there are only nine of us in the house. And he says, you know, that's what it is. It's about our response to different things and our perspective, which changes. And our, uh, our goal is to restore the perspective of one so that they might walk in a way and have the right attitude and have the right perspective upon their issue or problem. That might glorify God. For the non-Christian, we restore and bring them to a point where they can see God. And for those who know Christ, we bring them to walk rightly with God so their perspective might be proper and their attitude might be right. The second thing that we have today in 2 through 4, the other three principles are, first or secondly, to have a spirit of gentleness and second, examine self-examination. A spirit of gentleness and self-examination. The text says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. The phrase that says you who are spiritual doesn't mean that it has to be your counselor and youth group, doesn't mean it has to be your Sunday school teacher or your church leader or your pastor or whoever it might be. You who are spiritual refers to the person that he is talking about who is bearing the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, who is uh, manifesting God's uh, fruit, who is walking with God, who is right with God. And it calls us to have a spirit of self-examination in looking to yourself. We are people who easily see the perhaps flaws in other people. And the exhortation here is that we be people who would examine our own lives first. Lest we are tempted to come across in a way that's judgmental, in a way that's critical, in a way that is harsh. A way that is assuming the worst of someone else. In a way that uh, often does more harm than good. And Jesus warns us of this in Matthew 7 when he says, Do not judge, lest you too be judged. And you remember what comes after that? He doesn't mean don't judge at all. 
But he says what? For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And he says to these people, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, and see the little sliver there, when there is a log in your own eye? And there you have this huge telephone pole coming out of the side of your head, and you see the speck in your brother's eye, and you say, you know, you've got a problem. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Deal with your own issues first. Deal with your problem and walk rightly with God and take that log out of your own eye first. And then help your brother or sister who has a speck in their eye. You who are walking with God, restore someone else. And you remember that, you know what, if it weren't for God, you too would be there in the same place. When other people mess up, it's so easy for us to say what? I told you so. What did I tell you? You know, that sure was a dumb mistake. I can't believe you did that. That's really, I just... (sighs) And you perhaps don't come across in a spirit of gentleness when they're caught in a sin. And many times people who already are caught in a sin, they feel embarrassed, they feel ashamed, they know what they have done. And the goal is not to shame them even more, but in gentleness to win them over. It doesn't mean that you won't confront them. It doesn't mean that you don't tell them the truth in love. It doesn't mean that you don't discipline them. It doesn't mean that you'll just give in and say, oh, it's okay when it's not. It doesn't mean that, but it means that we are to be gentle in the way that we come across to someone else, to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Thirdly, we're to carry one another's burdens. Not only are we restore them and restore them in a spirit of gentleness and self-examination, but we're to carry their burdens. For it says in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. When somebody is struggling, the responsibility to help them falls on whom? Falls on people who are walking with God. You and I. Falls on our shoulders to help them, to carry one another's burdens. Do you realize that people don't normally go to some professional counselor or go to me or whatever? Statistics say that they'll go to you. Statistics say they'll go to a friend, a co-worker, a family member, maybe their spouse, or if it's an issue with their spouse, they'll tell their friend. They'll call them up on the phone. They'll call you. I'm sure that you have dealt with many problems in your life. Your kids will come to you. Maybe your spouse will come to you. Maybe a co-worker will come to you. And they'll talk with you. Why? There's a number of reasons why that's very, very true. Even though you may not know the right answer, they want to talk with you. Why? Because of familiarity, you have a history with them, they trust you, you know their background, you know their history. They don't have to explain all of this. You are accessible to others, you're there, you can actually walk beside them and you'll still perhaps be their friend continually for a long time to come. Some, for example, it's an expense issue or whatever it might be. And these are opportunities when someone comes to you and asks for help. For you to exercise the one another's of the New Testament. The one another's to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another, to do all of these things. People would come, will come to you. And the attitude is not to say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care about your problem. I don't want to hear about your problem. I don't even want to notice that you have problems because I want to be by myself. You know, for the past three days, we had a great time in Lake Chelan when we were um, 
Epic was uh, up there at the retreat and the getaway. And it was a great time of fellowship and especially extending time with the, the Lord and sharing about what God has been teaching us. And I shared with them the, the concept about how there's a, a group. We have a group. We have a high school group. It's called Epic. There are a couple of types of people that will come to a group, whether it be a church or organization or whatever. Most people will be consumers. They'll come and they'll consume. They'll take what they feel is helpful. And when the lights are flashing, they'll be there. When things are happening, they'll be there. When things are exciting, they'll be there. When things are fun, they'll be there. And they'll be there. And their mentality is that what? Life revolves around me. My needs, my life, my agenda, my purposes, my goals, my wants, my desires. And revolves around me. The consumer mentality. And if this doesn't, well, if this doesn't cater to me, then, well, I'm going to jet and cut and go someplace else. Then there are others. As we talk oftentimes about our church being a family. What it means to be a family member. Member of the family. If you're part of that family, you have responsibilities to others. You have responsibilities to your brothers or your sister or whoever it might be or your, your parents or whatever it might be. You stick up for them. You encourage them when they're down. You're there for them when they need you. You're going to be there. You're going to be dependable. And that's what family is all about. To help each other. Why? Because you're family and you care. And in the same way, the church or the group, the youth group or whatever it might be, is to be a family. When we look out for each other. When someone is in the hospital, we visit them. When someone passes away, we go to the funeral. When someone needs prayer, what? We pray for them and we're there for them. We encourage them. Somebody loses their job, what? We encourage them. We ask them what we can do to help. Let me ask you, how much do you care? How much do you care about others here? How much do you care about others here? Care about their, their walk with God or check up on them if they don't come, if you miss them? Or do you come and say, I've got my little cup filled and I'm going to take my cup and drink it all on my own? Or do you share to say, we're a family. We do things together and we support each other. I care about me and my family and that's it. And after I'm done, I'm going to see. And not think to yourself, what burdens can I bear that others may be carrying here? Because you know what? Everyone has burdens. Every one of us has burdens. And we need each other to carry them. It's a command. It's not an option. Fourthly, we're called to have a humble attitude. We're to restore others. We're to come across in a gentle way. And we're to what? Bear one another's burdens. Fourthly, have a humble attitude. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It says in verse 3. You know, the Pharisees really thought they were something. They thought they were above the law. They had a great support group. They were, they were, they, they, they were, they were the people to go to. They were self-righteous. They thought to themselves, they got themselves into this mess. They should let, get themselves out. And they thought they were something. They looked down on others. And they put these burdens of the law on the people. And when you do that, you, 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 you place these burdens on them out of pride. Pride keeps a person from wanting to help others sometimes. Uh, and they keep themselves from thinking, well, you know what? The thought that a humble person thinks is, if it weren't by the grace of God, I would be there too. If it weren't by God's grace, I'm undeserving. 
I don't deserve to have what I have or be where I'm at. It's because God has helped me. This past year, I was speaking at an international leadership conference for missionaries, and, and I shared with them some of the thoughts that I've shared with you about bearing one another's burdens, about counseling. And one of the other guys who said afterwards, he said, I, I don't have time to counsel others. I've got all these other things I've got to do, you know, and push it off. But the point of this passage is clear. We don't have a choice. It's not an option to say, well, I'm good at this and therefore, you know what, I'm going to do it. Or I have a real heart for others and therefore I'm going to counsel and help others. No, we're all counselors and called to be people who will come beside others, who will bear their burdens in gentleness and worship God along with them. We seek to restore them in gentleness and to carry their burdens and to have an attitude that is humble. Why? Because Jesus does that for you. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we need to bear other people's burdens and to be sensitive to their needs and to think to themselves, what are they going through and how can I help? Just as is told in the old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. And he says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrow share? We should never be discouraged. Jesus knows our weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee, and thou will find a solace there. Our counselor is Christ. And if we are to model our lives after him, and we are to bear the burdens that we share with each other, because everyone has burdens that they carry. And it's a whole lot easier if we carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that we might be sensitive to you, for you care about each and every one of us. And we pray, God, that we might have a heart that cares about others as well, seeing their needs, desiring to talk, wanting to help. Father, so often our eyes are so pinned on ourselves that we fail. We walk by others who in their hearts have a lot of pain. God, I pray that you would cause us to be people who reach out with a helping hand, desiring to carry their burden as they walk along this path of life. In Jesus' name, amen.